Hey, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 25. Woo! Why did you just woo, Scott? Well, let me just tell you. Sometimes you just gotta let out a woo, you know? Because uh, you remember, uh, every year I teach this course on worship, and I've taught it for over 10 years uh, for, this, for the Assemblies of God Ministry School, and I don't know if you've ever been a teacher or ever taught, you're, you're expected to teach the same thing every time you teach, and sometimes it gets a little old, um, even for you as a teacher. And so the last couple of years, though, as I've taught this worship course, I find myself spending more and more and more and more time talking about the tabernacle, talking about the temple in the Old Testament. So as you turn to Exodus chapter 25, let me just toss this question out to you before we go any further. Just put, put that in your, in your back pocket and just, how do you interact with God? How do you interact with the Lord? If someone let's say someone who wasn't even a believer in Jesus Christ came up to you and said, how do you interact with the Lord? How do you, what would be your response? How would you explain that to him? Well, I think most of us would probably say something like, well, through his word, God speaks to me through his word. He challenges me through it, through prayer, um, through godly fellowship with other believers and other believers speaking to my life. How do you interact with the Lord? Well, when you look at the Bible, here's, here's what I want you to get from today's message, just kind of an introduction message to this new series called The Tabernacle. This is what I want you to get. When you read the Bible, you see over and over and over and over again that God desires to dwell with his people. God wants to be with you. You don't have to go any further than the book of Genesis. Go back to Genesis, and, and do you see the interaction between Adam and Eve and, and the Lord? I mean, even after they had sinned, what were they doing? They were hiding in the bushes, right? And what was, God was like, uh, God was looking for them as if he didn't really know where they were. But, but they had sinned, and so they're embarrassed because they're what? They're naked and didn't want you to see us. Just that whole discourse is kind of crazy, but it's so much human nature. But what, here's what I want you to get. God was looking for, he says, I want to be with you. Look at Noah and how Noah and, and the Lord interacted. Look at Abraham and the Lord and how they interacted and, uh, and they spoke and God dwelled with him and gave direction to him. Look at uh, Job. Look at all the prophets of the Old Testament and see how God spoke and, 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 and spoke to those prophets to draw them back to, uh, draw God's people back to right relationship. Then go to the New Testament when, when Jesus comes, God incarnate. He came to earth. The God of the universe came and lived among us. How crazy is that if you really think about it? Why? Because he, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He wanted to be with us. And then when he dies and goes up, who does he send? Who comes down then? Another part of the Godhead comes and descends on us, the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is now with us. And so I, I want you to get this today. That, um, uh, that God desires to interact and to dwell with us. God is always the one who interacts with mankind that we might have fellowship with him. Even as you go back to the Exodus, right? And you, you see Moses standing up to Pharaoh. God says, let my people go so they might worship me. God told Moses, says, this is what I want you to say. Go stand before Pharaoh. And say, God says, let my people go that they might worship me. God says, I want to be with my people through worship. I want to dwell with my, I want to be with my people. 
and you come out of the Exodus then, and, and they've been saying, and the Red Sea, and all that stuff, and you get to Exodus chapter 25. If you, are you there yet? Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Here it is. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. That's the title of my message today. I encourage you to grab the notes in the back of the seat. In a couple minutes, I'm going to have you start filling in some blanks. But right now, let me just set this up. I think most of you would probably say at some point, if you've been in in church for any length of time, you've been to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. You've been there, done that. You could maybe even name off maybe at least five of the Ten Commandments. We'll do that later on. Special you can sit in the front row of the annual business meeting if you can get those. But um, just a reward. I'm just trying to reward you and just bless you. But how about chapter 25 to 40? How much time have you really spent studying and diving into chapter 25 to 40 where God, through his word, he speaks to us about the tabernacle? That's where we're going to be for the next few weeks leading in to, um, to Easter Sunday. Is it, what, about 15 verses um, Somewhere around 450, 500, ver- uh, excuse me, 15 chapters. Somewhere around 450 verses or maybe a little more. Nearly a third of the book of Exodus. We're going to dive into it. And, and it wasn't just in, in 25.8 that God said that he wants to dwell and, and tabernacle among them. It was in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, later on. He, this is what he said. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you. God wants to dwell with us. There I will meet with you. I will speak with you. I, I want to just declare something from the very top of this series. Every week, this is my prayer as we get into this series because I believe um, the enemy is here. And the, I, I believe that some of you, your battle, if, if the enemy can make you feel like you're by yourself, if the enemy can make you feel like no one knows what I'm going through, if the enemy can make you feel like I, 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 am, I am alone in my battle, in my struggle, in my whatever, then he wins. But I'm here to tell you the word of God says exactly opposite. I'm here to tell you through the tabernacle series, we're going to push back against that lie from the pit of hell. And, and we're going to take authority over our emotions, over our thoughts. And we're going to align those up with the word of God. <coughs> Sorry, because the Lord longs to be with you. He longs and wants to be with you. Here's the question. Do you want him to be with you? In fact, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to finish this service in a couple minutes, and I'm going to invite as many of you that are willing to come forward and fill these altars, either on your knees or standing, and just declare to the Lord, yes, I want you. I need you. In this time, in the history of the Israelites, in the history of God's people, they were living in tents. Do we have any tent campers here in the, in the audience today? Tent campers. There's a few of you willing to raise your hands, okay. Miller family, not so much. <clears throat> uh, uh, some of you might know um, friends from the area, Rick and, and Sherry Lambright. They're pastors at uh, uh, River of Life. They've been pastors there for a long time, and, and they're friends of ours. And Anyhow, they... they they had a kind of a checklist, things I want to do um, uh, on my checklist. And one of them was to, it's crazy to me, but to, to take six months and to follow the Appalachian Trail on foot. 
And so they're actually doing that right now. And some of you know Rick and Sherry, and, and you, you can believe that, yeah, I could see them doing that. Um, on YouTube, I, I'm not trying to give advertisement, but it, it is interesting to me at least. You and me on the AT, if you search YouTube, not now, but you and me on the AT, you can follow their video blog of their journey. And so I was watching the other day, and I, his, Sherry was videotaping Rick put up, putting up the tent that they were going to sleep in that night. I thought, man, that's the last thing I'd want my wife to do. Because, A, you'd probably see me getting the directions out because I'm kind of the direction follower here. And, and, and then you might hear some Christian swear words. I don't know. Um, doggone it. Uh, you know, some, some of those might pop into that video. And I, that, I don't think that would be a blessing. But I, I, I watched just a little bit of it. It was about five minutes long. But I just thought, I can't imagine for the next six months, the next six months, walking on a trail every day and living out of a tent. That's where they were. They, they were literally, they, they were a, a mobile people. And remember, God um, brought them out of Egypt, and then they were wandering for how long? 40 years. 40 years. It didn't have to be that way, but it, as part of the way that it all worked out, we're not going to get into that, but they're, they're wandering for 40 years in the desert. And God, God sets them up in these tents, and God's, <clears throat> God says, hey, Moses, you know how you guys are tent camping? I'd like one too. <laughs> Give me a tent. And they built him a tent, and they called it the tabernacle. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but God gave them specific instructions, not just on the tents, but how they should be laid out in the camp. Numbers chapter 2 through 3, you don't have to turn there, but it would have looked something like this. Can you pull up that first picture? It would have looked something like this. I'm glad that they had someone, a news reporter was actually there from Fox News, CNN, somebody, and they took this picture, <laughs> just joking, um, and they took this picture, and so uh, you'll notice where the smoke is. That's the tabernacle, right in the middle, right? And then the Levites um, around there. Uh, but then God gave specific instructions for, I want these tribes over here, these tribes over here, these tribes up here, and these tribes down here. And as you look at that from an angle, you might catch on to something, which I, th I just think is interesting. If you go to the next one, you can see it a little more clear. Um, I know there's a lot of numbers up here. Just kind of ignore the numbers right now, but just can you kind of see what that probably may have even looked like a little bit. Isn't that something? Even the way God told them to set up their tent, it was in the form of a cross. And the interesting thing about the tabernacle the Lord told them to build, is to build it was portable, just like their tents. When he said, you know, build the altar this way and uh, build this this way and the, the Ark of the Covenant, build it this way, everything that, in fact, if, if you look at this next one of the actual um, tabernacle. Again, there's a lot of writing on here. Don't worry about reading it unless you're bored and you want to, but um, just look at the actual uh, tabernacle itself. Um, all of it could be torn down and would be torn down regularly so they could continue to move on. During these 40 years, they needed a place to worship God, but they couldn't build a permanent temple structure because they, would, they, they wouldn't live in the wilderness forever. And so it moved with them. So what are we going to do over the next few weeks? We're going to take a look at the tabernacle. And most of you, if you've been around for any length of time, you know, you've heard me say, anytime we read the Old Testament, we should always read it with the New Testament in mind. Anytime you read the, New Test or the Old Testament, you should always think of, how does Jesus fit? What, where's Jesus in this? So that's what we're going to do. 
Because as you study the tabernacle, and as you study the different pieces, the bronze altar, the brazen altar, the, uh, the, the laver, the base, the, the water, the holy place, where the, um, the bread of presence, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, the curtain, the most holy place. By the time we get to Easter Sunday, we're going to be in the Holy of Holies. It's going to be cool. I, can, I hope you're already thinking about who can I invite to come to Easter service with us because we're going to be in the most holy place is the plan right now. Um, uh, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about by the time we get to, to Easter. Um, but this, this, this right here, all of it points to Jesus. All of it will strengthen our understanding of worship of our Lord and what Jesus really does and did for us. So let me just uh, um, summarize then real quick. Some quick thoughts. This is in your notes. Quick thoughts on the tabernacle. Quick thoughts. Scott, what's the importance of the tabernacle? Well, just a couple things. I could, I could give you more than this, but let me just hit a couple. The tabernacle was a sanctuary for God's presence. Put that in there. The tabernacle was a sanctuary for God's presence in the Old Testament. Exodus 25, 8, we can read it again. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell. I will tabernacle. I will be with them. I will tabernacle, a place for God to meet with his people in a special way. Interesting, God's visible glory was literally over the, the tabernacle day and night. And when God's glory moved, Israel had to move. And this is how God showed them when and where to move. This happened all the time when they were in the desert. And let me just show you. Look at this passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 40. In all the travels of the Israelites... Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. Fire was in the cloud by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel during all the travels. During the day, it'd be like smoke. During the night, it'd be like a fire over the tabernacle. Let's go to that next passage. And I think it's Numbers. Yeah. On the day the tabernacle, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening to morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. Hmm. Imagine waking up that morning in the tent. Ooh. Morning, morning. Did you happen to see if the, the cloud's still over the tabernacle, honey? I'm trying to plan out my day. Hold on, Shlomo, I'll take a look. And opens the tent. Hey, it's cloud, the, the cloud is still over the tabernacle. We're good, not going anywhere. Next morning. I'll look this morning, honey. You stay in bed. Okay. Opens up the tent, and the cloud is moving. What's that mean? Kids, get up. It's time to pack up. We're moving on up. We're, we're, we're moving on. The move is on. I mean, that literally... God would lead them and guide them through the smoke and the fire. Let me ask you something. Does God still lead us and guide us? It looks a little different, though, doesn't it? If I came to your house this evening, would I see a fire over your house? <laughs> one time, our, this may be more information than you care to know, but one time our washer and dryer, it's upstairs in our house, just the way the house was built and and, and so the dryer vent goes out the upstairs, and one time the dryer was just, it was shooting out. It was kind of a misty day, foggy, whatever, 
and it did. It looked like something was on fire coming out the side of our house. Our neighbor called, hey, I think you got a fire in your attic or something like that. He was like, no, just doing the laundry. <laughs> Thought, boy, we're being spiritual today. The cloud of the glory of the Lord is upon the Miller house. No, sir. No, sir. Just doing the dry. Just a manna, a manna doing this work, whirlpool, whatever it was. But can you imagine, how does God speak today? Does his presence, is there a cloud like, you know, pig pen? You ever watch Charlie Brown or read Charlie Brown? I know I'm dating myself here. Some of you never seen Charlie Brown. Next time the special is on, watch the special and uh, go whatever. But, but pig pen, everywhere he went, there's a cloud of dust because he's the pig pen, right? I mean, that, that's kind of, is that the way it is? No. So what, what, well, let me just tell you, tell you what, God did not dwell in the hearts of humans until after Christ's death and resurrection. He would dwell in a certain place during the Old Testament. And it started with the tabernacle. Follow me here, follow me here. It started with the tabernacle. And then it turned into the temple, right? The temple was built. And, and even that temple goes all the way into the New Testament. Do you remember when we were studying in Luke? Talked to, uh, Jesus was even prophesying and saying in AD uh, 70, he was prophesying about what was getting ready to happen. The destruction of the temple was going to happen in AD 70. It did. And so the tab- God's presence dwelled in the tabernacle. It, it dwelled in the temple. And, and then what happened when Jesus came? He died. He rose again. What happened then? Where does his presence dwell now? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves, you yourselves are now God's temple. And that God's spirit lives in you. The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit pilot light, bing, came on. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. How awesome is that? How, that God, the God of the universe, at the point you repent of your sins and you give your life to Christ, you are now the tabernacle of his presence. You are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. How awesome is that? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Let's hear it again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, Scott, do you have one more? I'm just still struggling to know this. Yes, I do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He lives among us. He lives in us. You are now the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit. As we study and look at the temple, and excuse me, the tabernacle, just keep that in mind. i got to keep moving. But the, the tabernacle was a sanctuary for God's presence. Second thing, fill in the, this in, in your notes. is the tabernacle of the testimony. The tabernacle of the testimony. What? Well, let's just read it. Exodus chapter 38, verse 21. These are the amounts of the materials used for the tabernacle. What do they call it? The tabernacle of the testimony, which were recorded at Moses' command by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. It contained the Ten Commandments. So imagine with me. In fact, I couldn't help but talk about this. I talked about it a little bit. At, um, uh, at the Acts 4, um, uh, the two, <laughs> 242 nights that we're having. By the way, all of our Acts 242 nights on Wednesday nights are packed full. I'm sorry if you still wanted to get in. It's a good problem that we packed them out. Um, it's a bad problem that we couldn't fit some of you in. I'm sorry. Um, but next time uh, we'll do these again. But I'm, uh, this past Wednesday, I couldn't help but to talk just a little bit about it, um, uh, just about the tabernacle and some of these things. But, but you think about, um, as, as we were talking about this with some pastors, 
uh, this past uh, Wednesday. I was talking about this idea with some pastors. And, and one of them, uh, I think it's Phil Yoder from First, First Mennonite, he, he made a great point. He said, the tabernacle was a visual representation of God for everybody. And, and everything that that tabernacle represented, it was God in their midst. And he made the point that I, I, I think it's a simple point, but that every day you'd wake up and you'd see the cloud and it would be a physical reminder that God is here and all that God has for them as people. And, and as part of what they would have is in that tabernacle would sit the actual Ten Commandments. And what's the importance of that? Well, the importance of this is um, our relationship to God can never be separated from our obedience to his laws and his guidelines. Our relationship and worship and connection with God, that God wants to live among us, but there is a sense that we must be obedient to him. And Now listen, I understand our, we are, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'll never be good enough. I'll never earn the righteousness. In fact, we, we call this positional righteousness. Do you remember me teaching on this? We say there's positional righteousness and there's practical righteousness. Positional righteousness looks like this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, who? Jesus. In him, through him, through repentance of our sins and giving our lives to him, we become what? The righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. I'm not righteous, you're not righteous, none of us. The only one that's righteous among us, that's perfect, stainless, has no sin, that's Jesus Christ. I think about the old hymn. Uh, it's got several different titles to it, but let me just, the first verse goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweet, sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Fourth verse of that hymn. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness. I love how the, the, the writer of this hymn said this. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. I am, I am dressed in, in his righteousness I'm covered by his, how awesome is that? The moment I give my life to Christ, I am made right before God. I am justified. I am sanctified. But then we also believe in a continual sanctification, the idea that I'm going to continually submit myself more and more and more to the Lord, and prayerfully I'm going to become more and more like Jesus. So are you. And so we call that a practical righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So regularly, I, my prayer is that as I submit myself to the word of God, to the teaching of, of, the, of his word, and to his presence, that I am daily being reformed. My mind is being renewed to line up with the word of God. Why do you say all that, Scott? Because... When, when, when we think about this being the, tab, the, the place of, 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 of God's Ten Commandments and, and um, that this was a place where, uh, where it wasn't just a, a place of worship, um, but it was, a, it was a reminder. It was, God, help me to understand that the tabernacle of the testimony is in there, reminding me who God is, what he's called me to do, and it's pretty clear. Let's move on. Third thing, fill this in. The tabernacle was a place where God provided forgiveness of sins through a blood sacrifice. Oh, forgiveness of sins through a blood sacrifice. Take that to the New Testament just for a second. Forgiveness of sins 
through a blood sacrifice. Do you see something? Do you see something in the Old Testament pointing to the New Testament? I can't get too much into this because I want to talk a little more about this next week as we talk about the brazen altar. But in this way, it, it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Exodus chapter 29, check this out. Bring the bull, this is what they would do. This, was, this is what they were told to do at the tabernacle. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. In essence, transferring the sins onto that animal. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your fingers. Pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys, with the fat on them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and it's awful. You think, what's awful? It's the stuff that's it's just awful. You, you wouldn't eat intestines and you know stuff like that. No, he says, take that awful stuff, the awful, outside the camp, it's a sin offering. The big difference is that Jesus' perfect sacrifice provided complete forgiveness once and for all. The sacrifices I just explained to you, these sacrifices, they'd have morning sacrifices, evening sacrifices, there'd be other sacrifices, but it would be happening all the time. Now we'll talk about this more next week, but Jesus once and for all became the sacrifice for all of our sins we ever committed or ever will commit. I, 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 I know this is kind of scripture heavy. Boy, isn't that bad. But um, Hebrews, come on. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Look at this one. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again like these high priests would. They would bring the, the animals and uh, uh, every. Every year they'd have the, the most holy place and they'd have one specifically for sin. But every day they'd be doing these sacrifices over and over and over again. Not through Jesus. Verse 25, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. He didn't have to. Because the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Look at verse 27. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, hallelujah, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In that sense, salvation is Jesus coming back to take us all to be with him in heaven. How awesome that will be. Amen. But Jesus, he, his sacrifice was once and for all. Let's keep mo moving. Let's finish this up. Verse, uh, excuse me, number four. <clears throat> the tabernacle pointed to heaven where Christ, our eternal high priest, lives. The tabernacle pointed to heaven where ultimately that perfect lamb of God, the sacrifice, Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest would live. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you know in the tabernacle, think with me here for a second. Just go. Go with me to Exodus chapter 25 through 40, will you? Just go there with me in your mind. You're living in a tent. And you're picking up tent stakes and moving. And then as you're being led of the Lord. Daily, there are sacrifices being offered at the, at the tabernacle. Burned incense is happening in the holy place. 
the lamps are being tended to. Weekly, they renew the bread of the presence and they, they eat the, the old loaves, the, the priests do. Their, their focus was on God, number one. But the priests who are, are performing all these duties, their second focus was on the people of Israel. In a sense, follow with me. These priests were interceding between God and the people. The priest attended all of the sacrifices in the tabernacle. Just imagine if you were a priest in this day, catching the blood as the animals died, offering a portion on the altar, eating the meat portion assigned to the priest. This is hard work. I've never butchered an animal. Maybe you have. I never have. But if I were a priest, if you were a priest in the Old Testament, you might as well get used to that because that was a common, regular occurrence. Think butcher. I mean, your, your, your priests were really butchers. They, they, they were taught, they were, this is how they did this. This was because there had to be a sacrifice of blood to take care of the sins of God's people. And then, um, uh, so let's keep going on. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ came as high priest, so one of those priests who, the butchers, <laughs> When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not man-made, that Moses didn't make, that, that, that those that were put in charge of creating the tabernacle and then Solomon's temple and on and on and on. It wasn't that. More perfect tabernacle that's not handmade, that is to say not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption oh the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean but how much more than with the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished unblemished to god cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living god can i read a little bit more follow with me i know this is a lot of scripture stay with me Chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again, the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The tabernacle would point eventually to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to dwell. And, and not just with man, but he's, he's going to dwell, uh, um, and, and his, his place would be in heaven ever interceding for us. You say, what is Jesus doing right now? He's our eternal high priest. Do you remember how I said, do you remember this? How I said the priests were almost like the intercessors between God and the people because they were doing all the, the, the work and the capture and the blood and, and all the sacrifice. The priests were kind of the Now Jesus is in that high priest spot and he's ever interceding for us. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us. You say, Scott, what's the importance of that? We'll talk about that more later, but it's pretty powerful. Let's go to number five, final thing. Look at this. The tabernacle, it was prophetic in that it pointed toward 
God's final stage of restoring his relationship with his people. Just one verse here. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer, <clears throat> no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with me, and he'll live with me. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Listen to me. I didn't bring my chart. I don't have my, my picture of my chart up there. But if you go all the way to the right on my chart, let me just tell you, there's, you like, chart, what are you talking about? It's a chart of the end times, the last things. Listen to me. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be wonderful. And, and I mean, just think, think about when you, when you read the, the book of Genesis and, and how um, the old, again, I, I'm, I'm a little old-fashioned today. Go back to the old hymn, I, I come to the garden alone and while the dew is still on the roses. And, and you know, you, you, if, you've ever, if you can think about in the garden, that, that hymn, and, and you think about particularly the scripture, though, where, where Adam and Eve were just, they were dwelling with the, the Lord's presence and there was such a communion between them. It's hard for us to really imagine that. As we read how God spoke to Job in the Old Testament, you're like, man, it just seems like he just had just like, you know, hey, Jesus, hey, Job, how's it going? <laughs> Pick up the phone and just talk to God, you know? I mean, uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a different dispensation. Imagine with me, even greater than that, that's what the new heavens and the new earth is going to be like. I mean, it, it's hard to even explain what it's going to be like, but God is going to dwell among us. And that tabernacle, God dwelling among them, pointed toward God's final stage of restoring his relationship with his people and the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to be great. Why study the tabernacle? Those are a couple reasons. I could tell you a few more, but we'll just save that for later. But I'm just telling you, I believe God's going to really give you a revelation today. The important, and this, this, in this series, the importance of God dwelling in us, among us. So here's, here's the question. God has always wanted to be with us, but do we want to be with him? Think about that. Worship team, would you come? God has always wanted to be with us, but do we want to be with him? Just look right here if you can. <clears throat> I, had, I had a set of grandparents. My mom was a garber. And, um, and so... Uh, my grandparents on my mom's side, I loved going to their house. Why? Because they had a huge, huge mansion? Not necessarily. Um, because they would spoil me and buy all kinds of things for me? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe a Friday night pizza at Pizza Inn was, a, was spoiling. I don't know. But, um, you, know, you know, the thing about it, though, when I'd go over there, it wasn't because of what we did as much as just being there, you know? It was just different. It was fun. It was something different from, I, I, I remember Saturdays, I'd go over there often like on a Friday night and then Saturday and then Sunday morning, we'd get up and maybe they'd bring me to church and we'd all worship together and then we'd have lunch together and be done or sometimes grandpa would oversleep, grandma would say. And, and even as a little kid, I thought, boy, this is great. I get to skip church. Isn't that horrible? I admit that. There's don't get me wrong, every Sunday we were at church, and so you just felt like you're, anyhow. Um, 
But on Saturdays, I remember waking up and we'd, um, uh, we'd just have breakfast like normal. Maybe grandma would go to the grocery store. Woohoo! yeah, I'll go with you, grandma. Let's go to Everett's, wherever it was. And <clears throat> we'd go to the grocery store together. Or then, then maybe later on, grandpa would be mowing the lawn and he'd collect all the clippings and, and, and or maybe trim the bushes, whatever it was, and we'd throw them in the back of the truck. I'll never forget the first time I was, uh, he said, okay, Scott, hop in the driver's seat. You're driving. I was like, grandpa, I'm only 10 years old. That's okay. <laughs> and so he said, push in the clutch, push in the brakes. And I let the, bre- let the clutch out really slow, give it a little gas. You know, it's one of those, <laughs> push in the clutch, push in the clutch. Okay. Now, nice and slow. And we drive to the back of their housing addition, and we dump all those things out. And I, was, I thought I was, you know, the thing, the thing is, though, we, we'd go through the rest of the night. We'd eat dinner, maybe stay up late, like at least 1030, you know, really late. Grandpa would watch wrestling with me for a little while. And back when I really thought it was real, you know, you remember? There's a special time in every guy's life where he realized this isn't real. <laughs> Pile driver, you know, Hulkamaniac. Grandpa would watch that. With here's, what, here's what I'm getting at. All of you can think of people who have passed on before you, loved ones. And, and today I would venture to say that it's probably not something that you would say, man, I'd love to go on vacation with them again. Boy, I'd love to revisit this with them. I'll tell you more what, what it is for me, is I, I just kind of like to walk in the living room and just sit down and see grandpa reading the newspaper and just be there, just be there in their presence, you know? Just, uh, you don't have to do anything special, just, I think about that with my mom and dad. I, I just wish that I could just walk in there and just that mom would be sitting on the couch folding towels like she did, seems like her whole life. Four kids, it seems like there's constantly laundry to be done and so, she was constantly folding laundry. I had great memories of my mom folding laundry. And yes, I would help from time to time. They only, they only allowed me to, to, to fold the little washcloths and whatever. They didn't, I couldn't do anything bigger than that. But, um, but here's, here's what I want you to get. Just, I just want to see them. I just want to be in their presence. It's, you're getting what I'm saying. Now take that and multiply that. That's how your Heavenly Father feels about you. Scott, you don't understand. I'm a sinner. I, 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 I know. I come to church. I'm doing my best to serve God. But I, I, I still mess up so often. Let me tell you what your Heavenly Father says. I want to dwell right in the midst of your sin. Right in the midst of your mess. I want to dwell in you. I want to dwell in you. And I want to help perfect some of that out of you. I want to help work some of that out of you. And, and as, as you think about those who, who you, your loved ones, that you're like, man, I'd love to be in their presence. Your heavenly father is like, I, I so want to be in your presence. In fact, he so wanted to be in the presence of his people, the Israelites, that he said, build me one of those tents. In fact, put me right in the middle of it all because I want to be with my people. And God is saying to us as a church, he wants you to dwell with him. He, he wants to dwell with you. The question is, do you want to dwell with him? That's the question today. So would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray all across this room right now. Would you do a work in our hearts and our lives? God, some people walked in here today and they didn't know what to expect. But this is what we know, is that you long to be with us. And we know biblically, we know biblically that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And we know the moment I repented of my sins, the moment I gave my life to Jesus Christ, 
I know that you came and you live inside of me through the Holy Spirit. And God, I, I pray that today it would go another step and it would be a revelation to me. God, I want you to dwell with me. I want you to dwell in my marriage. I want you to dwell in my children. I want, to, I want you to dwell in my relationships. I want you to sit on the couch and read the newspaper. I, God, I want, I want your presence just to be so real to me in the midst of every season of my life. I want you to dwell with me. And God, like your people, the Israelites, I want you to tabernacle with me. And I realize there are times when I get too busy to recognize your presence. And I'm sorry, Lord. And I ask you today, draw me back to you as I come back to you today. In Jesus' name.